every opposition to God's kingdom moved itself out of the way. The Bible says that at midnight, the foundations begin to shake and doors begin to open. At the end of that scenario, Paul was baptizing the jailer and his family. Paul went from Philippi. He went to Thessalonica. The Bible tells us that there was a great revival in that area. But in due time, people began to rise up against Paul. As Paul began to preach the gospel, as God began to move through Paul and use Paul, all of a sudden there was a opposition. The Bible tells us that Paul got up and went to Briera. The Bible tells us that in Briera, these were the people that would, that would study the word daily. They had a love for the word of God. They had a love for truth. They, they, they were in love with this Jesus. They wanted to learn more. But then the opposition from Thessalonica went over to Briera. So Paul had to make a move. So he went to Athens. Paul went to Athens. I want to share with you what happened in Athens. The Bible says in chapter 17. The Bible says in chapter 17, verses 15 through 25. Y'all just hear me. I'm going to read it to you. It says, those who escorted Paul, they brought him to Athens and they left with instruction for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. They called it the city of gods. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks as well as in the marketplace called the Agora. Day to day, those who happened to be there. Verse 18, it says, and a group of Epicureans and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? The word babbler was an insult. It was one who was like a bird picking seed over here and picking seed over there, picking seed over there and coming with all these different teachings and making a doctrine out of something. In other words, they were telling Paul that you come to my city and you have no intellect at all. But we have all the intellect. They had their nose up in the air. And when they looked at Paul, they made fun of Paul. They insulted Paul. And they called him a babbler. The Bible tells us in chapter 17. said others remarked and said he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this to Paul because he was preaching the good news about Jesus Christ and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting place called the Areopagus, which is Mars Hill, where they said to him, may we know what this teaching is that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange idea to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. In verse 21, and the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there, they spent their time and do nothing. Sounds nice. But talking sounds nice. <laughs> and listening to the latest ideas, trends, and fads. I threw that in there. They were just people chilling. They had no jobs. They were just relaxed. They just wanted to talk and hear things. That's the life. <laughs> then Paul stood up in the meeting at Mars Hill and said, 
You people of Athens, I, I see that in every way you are religious. Right? For as I walk around and looked carefully at the objects of worship. See, Paul, he did his investigation. He said, I even found an altar with an inscription to an unknown God. So you are very ignorant of the very thing you worship. In other words, in their face, he's saying, you think you're intellectual. You think you know everything. See, people that are intellectual, they, they, they have a hard time not knowing something. But Paul is telling them, you're so, you so lack intellectualism that you don't even know who that God is. You have the answer for everything else except who that God is. So Paul is throwing that back in their face. Paul begins to preach to them. Paul begins to preach that, that God is the creator. He begins to, to also preach that God is a judge. He begins to explain to these intellectuals who and what they don't know. Allow me to just go a little bit further in this story. In approximately A.D. 51, 51 A.D., Paul, as I explained to you, is stepping out of a boat, running or fleeing danger. He goes from Briera and he comes to a boat. Those taking care of him convince him he must go. So Paul gets off the boat. But before he gets off the boat, he understands what Athens is all about. Before he steps onto the shore, he understands that Athens has a, a grand history. He understands that it has been honored for centuries in, in time. He understands that Athens has great intellect. He understands that Athens has birthed great poets and intellectualism like Socrates and Plato and Aristotle. He understands that the city of Athens was, it was a rich city. It was, it was a, it was a grand city, but he understood, or he understood that Athens was past its glory days. It was past its, its zenith. The people of Athens for centuries in time, they, they trusted in a reason, a philosophy, to lead them to ultimate truth. Never realizing that ultimate truth only comes from a God that knows all things. From intellectual reasoning, from mathematics and science and discovery. Plato discovered formations and, and brought it into existence that we still use today. Plato established democracy that the Western world today, we follow. Athens was a, a leading example how America does his thing. Plato discovered how democ democracy works in a nation and in a city amongst the people. Paul, before he stepped into this land, he saw the idolatry in Athens. The idolatry. We hear idol worshipers in the Old Testament, but this is the first time that idolatry was, a word was placed to name those that worship idols. It was in Athens. Before Paul ever stepped off the boat, Paul had to deal with an intimidation and a fear. But you know what Paul did? Paul stepped off the boat. 
That was his perception. That was his mindset. That's, that was a hunger that Paul had in his life. He was like a bulldog. You ever see those people that walk down getting pulled by their dog? That's how Paul was. Paul was willing to do whatever. He was willing to go wherever. He was sold out to do something for God. Paul steps off the boat in the purpose of God. He steps off the boat and he begins to walk from a harbor to a city. Five miles from water to the gates of the city. Paul walks the western route, which means that he had to walk through an alleyway, a corridor, 250 feet wide. It was from harbor to city. In that corridor, there were walls that were built up. And in the walls, there were idols that were engraved. Paul had to make his route west of Athens, where he would walk through the cemetery. In the cemetery, he would see this, this worship of, of men that were renowned in that city. He would also see idols that were, that were, that were raised up where people would worship different deities. As Paul walked into the western area of Athens, the very first thing he saw walking into that city was a plateau, a mountain with a plateau. And that mountain was about 200 feet high. And on top of that plateau was a stronghold called Athena. There was a goddess that the Athenians worshipped. The city was named after the goddess. And the people of the Athenians were named after the goddess. They were named after their own god. Paul, before he ever starts preaching, had to face the history of intellectualism. He had to face the stronghold. The Bible tells us that when he got to the Agora, the marketplace, that he went to preach to the Jews in the synagogues. And it was his people that turned him away. What did Paul do? What do you think he did? I'll tell you what he did. Paul kept marching forward. Paul kept moving forward. Paul had an agenda. Paul was walking in his purpose. Paul kept preaching the, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us as he moved forward, he would preach to devout Greeks, those who would listen. In the marketplace, he would stand on a high point and he would preach his heart out to whoever listened. He'd preach to the Gentiles. And at this moment in time, the Epicureans and the Stoic people, you know, the high class people, those that had their nose up, they saw him, they made fun of him. And they said, hey, Paul, why don't you follow us to this, this place where the leadership hangs out in the city? You know, the city council. You know, the, the high-class people of high society. Paul takes that opportunity to follow these philosophers to that place. And Paul begins to preach to these people. As Paul's preaching... He's preaching on a little mountaintop called Mars Hill to high society. Meanwhile, looking behind them, he sees the marketplace. 
Behind the marketplace, he sees the cemetery. Behind the cemetery, he sees the idols. Behind the idols, he sees the harbor. And behind him, Hoover's the stronghold of Athena. But yet Paul was not intimidated. How many of us would even get off the boat? Paul was not intimidated. As a matter of fact, the principality of that city watched his every move. When he got off the boat, when he went through the corridor, when he went through the idols, when he went through the cemetery, when he entered into the gate, when he went to the synagogue, when he went to the devout Greeks, when he went to the Agora, and when he went to Mars Hill. It was a principality that was overlooking his every move. But Paul kept preaching the gospel. He kept moving forward. You see, Paul had a goal. Paul had an agenda. Paul was walking in his purpose and nothing would get in his way. Nothing. I'm pleading the case to you tonight. Let me tell you about the culture in Athens. It was a culture that was, that was mixed with philosophical beliefs from the Epicureans and the Stoic people. It was embedded in the very things or how they did things daily. Epicureans believed that pleasure was supreme, the supreme good to all men. In other words, they would exist today. They would say, live life. Just live life. Forget about tomorrow. Just do what feels good to you today or for you today. The Stoic people, they believe that a virtue was obtained through reason and intellectualism. Watch this. They believe that a person can find peace and tranquility by harmonizing with God. Sounds good, right? That, that, that's right. That's true. Except for the fact that the God they worshiped was the God of nature. So instead of worshiping the creator of nature, they worship nature. This was the culture that Paul encountered, that Paul had to, to deal with. The Bible tells us that some mocked, some delayed, and some believed. But in spite the mocking, in spite the delay, Paul had a purpose to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look, folks, to Paul, it was an open door. To Paul, it was effectual. To Paul, it was a great open door of effective ministry, of a good work, of a worthwhile work. Oh, I got to tell somebody in here tonight. You may feel the circumference of darkness closing all around you. You've got to change your perspective. you got to look at darkness in this world and say, the gospel must be preached. I have a job to do. I have a purpose by God. Paul had a method of outreach. I won't get into it that much, but Paul's method was to go to his own people. Then step out and go to Gentiles. Right? Paul had another method of go to those in, in, in high positions, rulers of the city. 
See, in this story, it shares a great outreach method or method or plan. But in this story, it shares with us the organization of the levels of demonic activity that we face, that Paul faced. In other words, when Paul entered into the city, he had to face idols. He had to face a, a pressure, an opposing pressure in a realm that is not seen. I'm going somewhere. Go with me. Paul had to encounter these intellectual people. God had to, uh, Paul had to go to another level and preach to these intellectual uh, people. Paul had to look and see the, the prince of the city or the prince of the region looking above him. Paul had to deal with a culture where the goddess of that, of that city was embedded in the name of the city and in, and in the naming of the people. The reason why I brought up Athens today because Athens resembles the world that we live in today. It resembles the world we live in today. Find a city. And there you will find the prince of that city. I want to tell somebody today. With a challenge in the Holy Ghost tonight. The Bible says, you know this. The Bible says you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. The Bible tells us to light your, your fire, your lamp, your flame, and not put it under a bushel or a bowl. But it's to be seen. It's to be seen to all men. What would take place? What would have taken place if Paul just turned around and went the other way? What? I remember. I remember that I... I was not always in the light. I was not always a child of light. Matter of fact, the Bible tells us in, in Ephesians 5, 8, it says, for, once you, for, for you were once in darkness, but now you are the light of the Lord. You walk as a child of light. Colossians 1.13 says he, he reached us from the domain of darkness. First Peter says he called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Can anybody testify where you've been from? Can anybody testify where God has taken you? Is there a testimony in this place where you can say, you know what? Once I was doing some bad things for a bad, in a bad time for a bad person. And today you can look hindsight and say, but God has changed my way. But God has delivered me. But God has set me free. Listen, folks. We are the light of the world. If we don't shine, who will? If we don't shine, who will? We've got to let our light shine before all men. We've got to let our light shine before all men. The Bible says, be ye not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power unto salvation for everyone that believes. In other words, you got the very thing that will transform a mind. you got the very thing that will transform a life. you got the very thing that will turn a pimp into a preacher. you got the very thing that will turn a prostitute into a woman of God. Is there a testimony in here? I'm a testimony. I'm a testimony. Oh, if someone can testify, if somebody has a testimony, give God a shout of praise for him being good to you. For him reaching down for you.
I have a question tonight. I have a question for you all tonight. Is there an oxygen tank in here? That's not the question. But I got a question for you all tonight. Noah preached righteousness in a time of darkness. In a time where God was looking for someone to step up and preach. In a time where God was seeking a people for a purpose. The Bible says Noah preached righteousness. Moses preached law and remembrance. Joshua preached a call to courage. Isaiah preached salvation coming from Jehovah. Jeremiah preached sin of a nation. Ezekiel preached warning to Israel to turn from their wicked ways. And Hosea, Hosea, he preached sin, judgment, and love to Israel. And Joel, man, he preached repentance and fasting and, and prayer. Amos, he he preached a sentence of judgment and, and Obadiah, good old Obadiah. Man, he preached doom and deliverance. Jonah. Jonah preached repentance to Nineveh. And Micah. Micah preached remembrance and repentance. Nahum. Man, he preached encouragement, blessing, and promises. And Zechariah. He preached hope in the coming of a Messiah. Malachi. The Bible says Malachi preached with a challenge to God's people. The Bible says it was some silent times in between the old and new covenant. We call them testaments. God was not silent, but he was not using anybody to write. God was still speaking to people and individuals. But then the Bible says that there came a man crying. Their wilderness preaching repentance for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John preached repentance, and then Jesus, Jesus came and he preached, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, and He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. To proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord Jesus. Jesus went and preached to 12 people. And Peter. Peter preached to the Jews. Philip preached to the Samaritans. Ananias <laughs> And Ananias, he preached to Paul. And then here comes Paul. Paul preaches to the Jews, to the Gentiles, to a king, and to a Caesar. My question for you today, like Micah, with a challenge, is what will you preach? What will you preach in a time of darkness? In a time where God's looking for a voice to use. In a time where God is calling somebody to do something. In a time where God is looking to lay a burden on somebody's heart and mind. A people to walk with purpose. 
despite the culture, despite the darkness, despite devils and principalities. <laughs> oh, the Bible tells me that greater is he that is in me, in me, and you than he that is in the world. In other words, what I'm telling you is this. You've got what it takes to make the greatest impact in this hour. Change your perspective. Change your mindset. Opposition is a good thing. Opposition means you're doing something. Opposition means there's a good work. Opposition means there's a great and effective call and ministry. Oh, I feel the wall of the devil. <laughs> but let me speak to the spirit world right now. The gates of hell shall not prevail against this church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against your family. The gates of hell shall not prevail against your ministry. The gates of hell shall not prevail against your church, Pastor. The gates of hell shall not, will not prevail. By the power of God and the authority in the name of Jesus, I release boldness in this room and courage in this room. Somebody needs to shout a war cry. Somebody needs to shout for your family. Your husbands will be saved. Your children will be saved. You got the Holy Ghost, let the Holy Ghost flow out of you. Oh, Oh, The gates of hell shall not prevail. The gates of hell shall not, will not prevail. The stronghold of the enemy will not prevail against God's people, God's purpose, God's church. There is a term that is, that is used. I'm almost done. There's a term that is used. There was a term, man, I feel a burden from God. There's a term that is used. Let me try to finish. There's a term that is used. 
and it's called the doorway effect. Anybody ever, anybody ever hear that term? Notre Dame did a study with professors right down the street, across the state line. They got about 100 people or so, and they began to make a mock house with mock entries and doorways. And the study was, they were trying to figure out how human beings, humanity, us, um, find ourselves in the most forgetful place. They get a bunch of people together, and they tell these individuals to go into this room and that room and this room, and, and, um, and we'll tell you what to bring back to us. And, and uh, they try to figure out where they would forget, or through the home, where, what, where, you know, where they would forget to, where they would, where they would lose their memory is what I'm trying to say. Has anybody walked outside your house without your keys, and you remember you forgot your keys, so you walk in the house, and then you forget what you were doing in the house? Or you go to your bedroom knowing that your phone is on the counter and you walk through to the bedroom and you forget why you're even in your bedroom. So you go downstairs if you have an upstairs, downstairs, and you get back downstairs like myself and, and all of a sudden you remember why you went upstairs to the bedroom because you're looking for your phone <laughs> or your wallet or your money, wallet, money, or your, your car keys. They have found that the places where people mostly forget things is through a doorway or th through a threshold. I want to say that in the last six to eight months, God has opened a door. It's a door that the church has been praying for. It's a door that the church has been in prayer and fasting. It's a door that we've been craving and yearning. It's a door that we've been reading about miracles, signs, and wonders. It's a door for the miraculous. And God, he answered our prayer. He set up things. He made things happen. He used our government. He used people around us. And we, the church of God, have, we have stepped through a door, Pastor Cox. We have stepped through a door of opportunity. We have stepped through a door of great opportunity. We have stepped through a mighty door, a great effectual door of miracles, signs, and wonders. The very thing that we, God's people, have been praying for, we've been seeking. God put healing in our nation. And God sends a plague. And we say, God, get rid of the plague. Get rid of the plague. We don't want to get sick. We don't want to be the one healed. Um, I stand here today to tell you that the church has stepped through the doorway. We are on the flip side of our prayers being answered. And the church has forgotten what we've been praying for. It's called the doorway effect. It's one of the, the places where people walking through a threshold forget what they were intending to do on the other side. God forbid... God forbid we be those people. God forbid that we be that church. Well, we've been praying for the miraculous and, and harvest and revival. And God says, okay, here's the door. It's open. And we step through. And when we get to the other side, we forget why we're on that side. We forget our purpose. Hi, <laughs> 
there's a word called destination. It's a place where you're fixated and you have all intentions ongoing. We're going to make it to heaven. That's our destination. We don't know when, how. It could be tomorrow. It could be next week. It could be 50 years from now. God knows. But our destination is heaven. There's another word called destination. It's the opposite of destination. Destination is you arriving at that destination and forgetting why you're even there. It's the doorway effect. God forbid that God get us to a place of miracle signs and wonders. Of the mighty God moving through our lives with purpose in this dark hour to be a light to this world. And we forget why we're there. I come to preach like Micah to the church, to the people of God with a challenge. I challenge you today. What will you preach in this hour? What will I preach? How would I react? God, forgive me, God. God, I want to be used by you and only you, God. God, I want to be used in times of great revivals and great harvest, God. God, place me in that position, in that place that you desire for me to be, God, in spite of my flaws, God, in spite of my confidence at times, God. I want to be used by you. God, I don't have the, I don't have the intellectualism, God. I don't have eloquence of speech, God. God, but I've got a passion, God, to do something on this side. I'm talking to a church that has been going through some tough times this year. I'm talking to families that you've encountered some rough times this year. I'm talking to people that you have lost some people. You have lost friends and you have lost loved ones. I'm talking to people that have encountered those walking away from the faith. Church, open up your eyes and see that you're on the flip side of your prayer. Step forward. Step forward. Don't stop. One step at a time. I heard a preacher say recently, it's not too late to be great for God. It's not too late to be great. It's not too late to do something for God. It's not too late to partake of the great things in the kingdom. It's not too late. In spite of what you went through, in spite of what you had to deal with, in spite of you, your flesh, in spite of me, God still chose us to be used in such a time as this. God, God, fill this church up, God. 
every chair in this room, God, and every chair on that balcony, God. God, fill this church up with souls, God. Here's what I feel in the Holy Ghost right now. I'm done tonight. Here's what I feel in the Holy Ghost right now. Paul had an outreach method to go to God's people. He would go to God's people wherever he preached. And God's people, whether they received the truth, they were part of the kingdom. But then there were those that would not receive the truth. We consider them backsliders. Here's what I feel in the Holy Ghost. I felt this last night in prayer. That we are going to pray for those that have walked away. That's a directive. I'm going to give you all some homework. Because we're all going to step forward together. Tonight, you're going to go to bed and you're going to think on that person that has walked away. They might have been your family member. They might have been your spouse or your sons and daughters, your nieces and nephews. They might have been related to you or not related to you. Names have already come to your mind right now. Tomorrow morning, we're going to pray for them. Tomorrow afternoon, we're going to strategize. Tomorrow evening after work, we're going to call them. We're going to text them. And then we're going to invite them to church on Sunday. God is trying to reach those that have walked away from the fold. Outreach method number one. Our directive is to call, interact tomorrow, Saturday, with every backslider that has walked away from the fold. Pastor Cox, I feel in the Holy Ghost that Sunday we're going to have a house filled with those that have walked away. But... They will be back home. We will invite them back home. We will love them when they're back home. We will encourage them when they're back home. We will include them when they're back home. We will pray for them back home. And we will use them. We will use them. If you have a loved one, if you have a friend that has come to your mind, I want you to stand up. Just stand up right where you're at. I stand tonight for my brother. I stand for my brother. My brother was raised in church. He's a PK. My brother is dealing with leukemia. My prayer. And I pray that God does something in him tonight. Mm. You know somebody. You know somebody. This is the director from God. This is our step number one. This is what we do tonight, tomorrow, Saturday. And on Sunday, you let God be God. You let God be God. I feel in the Holy Ghost right now to continue where we left off yesterday and start, start beginning to intercede for those that God has put on our mind right now. Church, we're on the flip side. God is doing something powerful in this day. It is time for us to rise up to rise up and let God use us the way he wants to use us. In Jesus' name, God, I pray for this congregation right now, God. I pray for every person in this place, God. I ask you, God, to give them boldness. God, give them confidence, God. God, give them the words to speak, God. In Jesus' name, God. In Jesus' name, God. Anoint their mouth, God. Anoint their minds, God. In the name of Jesus, God. God, let your signs follow them that believe, God. Those that believe are in this place right here, right now, 